Chapter 8 What will we do? Miss Beach's face tightened around the bridge of her glasses. The constable is here to take her in. What, what do I tell him? Gabriel put down the whiskey bottle. You notified a constable? Of course, last night, after the test results came in. Miss Beach flushed again and pushed up her spectacles. It's my job, doctor, if a pregnancy test is positive. I must contact the central compound. Damnation, Gabriel muttered. And if they discover our prisoner has escaped? Prisoner, Joanna protested. Yes, prisoner, Miss Beach turned on Joanna, her critical nature amplified by fear. Your sister broke the law. She had carnal relations outside the sanctity of marriage. By Londo law, your sister is a criminal. She is no such thing. She's a young woman in love who acted on her natural desires. Joanna took a step toward Miss Beach, as if she were going to wring the woman's neck. And who can blame her when there is so little love in this world? Gabriel watched Miss Beach fall back, pressing her clipboard to her chin. She had spent years working in a subdued laboratory, and she was unaccustomed to harsh language from anyone. He almost felt sorry for her. Gabriel strode to the door. I'll see what I can do. Wait a minute. I have an idea. Gabriel paused, surprised, but willing to entertain any solutions. Where do they take young women in Eva's condition? Initially, she nodded, to a holding cell at the central compound. Do they test the woman again, just to be sure? I believe so. He gazed at Joanna in admiration, following her line of reasoning as if it were his own. She had come up with a brilliant plan. In fact, I will make sure it happens. Then send me, Miss Beach gasped. But that would be treason. Joanna faced the smaller woman again. Would you prefer to be blamed for losing Eva? Wasn't it your responsibility to detain her, Miss Beach? Well, yes. Then it is to everyone's advantage that I be sent in her stead. They will test me, I will prove to be not pregnant, and they will have to release me. Plus, Eva's name will be cleared. And you, Miss Beach, will stay silent. Gabriel stared into his assistant's eyes. She cowered before him. Are we in accord on this? What if they find out about the switch? They won't. Doctor, you know I would do anything for you, but do I have your word, Miss Beach? She glanced at Joanna and then back at him. Without answering, she marched out of the office, head down. Gabriel took her blustery silence as an agreement. He turned to Joanna. Are you certain you want to do this? The central compound prison is no place for a woman. I won't be there long. That I can't promise. Surely they won't keep me longer than nine months. Her dark humor was not lost on him. Neither was her sacrifice. She paused in the doorway. I suspect that you and Miss Beach could be fined for losing a prisoner. Am I right? Yes. Then I'm doing you a favor, Citizen Stone, and putting myself in jeopardy as well. You owe me. We assist each other in this, Miss Wilder. 
While you're at the central compound, I will mount a search for your sister. You'll never find her. She and I know how to hide. Gabriel met her challenging stare. The lenses of her spectacles glinted, and for an instant the glasses hid her penetrating eyes. He had never met a woman quite like Joanna Wilder. He stared at her, curious to know more. One thing that I request, citizen? Yes. Send word to my field manager. Say that I've been detained by the authorities. I can't afford to lose my job. Of course. What's the Numo address? S-54. Done. She walked past him and out to the hall, and he followed. After a few short minutes of paperwork, she was handcuffed and dragged out of his lab into the damp night. He followed to make sure she wasn't manhandled, but he still worried about her fate once she left his side. He prayed she was strong enough for what was to come. But as he watched the tall, proud woman climb without faltering into the back of the chugger, even though her hands were bound, he realized she was capable of anything. Angela Beach watched the doctor scrawl a note on a piece of paper. He folded the paper and held it out. Please post this to Citizen Wilder's manager at S-54. Of course. And in future, please talk to me before you contact Central Compound about a subject. But it's my job. I'm not asking you to not do your job, Miss Beach. I'm asking that you keep me informed. A hot flush seared her cheeks. He was reprimanding her. After all the work she had done for him, he was being critical of her actions. Why now? What had changed? That woman. That's what had changed. She waited until Gabriel left the reception room. Then she wadded up the note he had given her and threw it in the trash. Neil Moray straightened his cravat and checked the rash on his neck in a mirror before striding into the office suite of Silas Stone. His step was jauntier than ever. Silas had summoned him at last, which meant his fortunes were changing. Oh, happy day! He and his cane clicked a cheerful staccato down the hall, checked in with Silas's secretary, and were ushered into the inner sanctum of the leader of the overseers. He'd never been in Silas's office before, and struggled to keep from gaping at the soaring paneled walls and massive oil paintings. The sheer size of the place took his breath away. He'd been told that long ago, pre-Reformation royalty had once plotted and planned in these halls, and eventually lost their lives in the uprising. One day, these magnificent digs would be his. Sit down, Moray, Silas commanded, never looking up. Insulted by the brusque treatment, Neil lowered himself to the chair in front of Silas's huge desk. He felt uncomfortable, dwarfed by the expanse of walnut before him. It was like perching before the cliffs of Dover and looking up, someone on the top. He scooted to the edge of his chair. You ask to see me? I have a task for you. I'm your man. Silas graced him with a sour glance. Then he returned to staring at something on his desk blotter. Neil craned his neck to see what had captured Silas's attention. Aha! Silas wasn't ignoring him to read a document. 
He was looking at a map. I want you to do something for me. Name it. And I don't want you making any newfangled improvements along the way. Or doing it your way. Do you understand me, Moray? Neil thought back a sneer. A hundred years ago, he had been kicked off the council for spearheading a movement to improve the system. His pride had been decimated by his fall from grace, but his beliefs had remained the same. He still thought the overseers were reactionary fools who needed a comprehensive update, especially Celestine. I understand, he said at last, showing his reluctance to agree. Good. Silas twisted the map to orient it in Neil's direction. Neil couldn't see it fully and was forced to stand up, like a servant. See this? Silas stabbed a location near the perimeter of the central compound. Yes, that's the Boswell Bower. The place where elite marriage ceremonies take place? Exactly. <clears throat> I want you to go there and do something to the marriage machine. Decommission it, but not destroy it. Something subtle, so it won't be usable on sea day. That seems easy enough. I don't want anyone seeing you do it. No witnesses, Moray. Not a problem, sir. His heart leaped. After completing a few easy tasks like this, he could insinuate himself into Silas Stone's good graces and take a place in Londo's inner circle where he belonged. You can count on me, sir. Silas waved him off without so much as a glance or thank you. For a moment, Neil stood in front of the battleship of a desk, flushing with indignation. Then he reminded himself to be patient. Insinuation took time, and he had plenty of that. Someone pounded on Aiden's door. Aiden and Evan stared at each other, their spoons in midair. Who would call at such a late hour? Go, Aiden urged in a whisper. It could be them. Where? Eva countered. Don't know. Don't want to know. Go, Eva. Aiden stashed her bowl and glass in a cupboard and then trudged to the door of his small townhome. Since the moment Eva had arrived at his apartment, begging for shelter, he'd expected a knock on the door. People didn't escape the overseers. He'd do his best to help her. He'd take a beating for her to give her time to clear out. But his hopes weren't high that she would get away. He could refuse to answer the door, but that would only give the agents of the overseers a reason to batter their way in. Then he would have to make repairs out of his own pocket. It made more sense to let the bastards in. Aiden opened the door and was surprised to see a single, slight, well-dressed man with a cane standing on the stoop. Aiden Bannister? the man inquired. Who wants to know? The stranger lifted his hat. Neil Moray. Aiden stared. He'd expected a constable or two at the door, not an overseer. This pale man was definitely of that high order. The slight man gestured toward Aiden's flat. May I come in for a moment? Aiden knew he had no choice. He stepped back. The man skittered in sideways, full of nervous energy that annoyed Aiden's slow-moving temperament. 
It's cold out tonight. Maybe we'll have snow at last. Maybe. Aiden crossed his arms. He surveyed the small man. He could snap the guy's arm with his bare hands if he had to. His cane as well. Do I know you? Not at all. But I've heard about you. Aiden's pulse increased. Being known in Londo City was not a good thing. You work in the mine outside of town. Barony Pitt. Yes. You could get your hands on explosives then. Aiden paused. Where was the conversation headed? Who was this person? The stranger wasn't here for Eva if explosives were on his mind. He wanted something else. That was the case. Aiden felt no compulsion to continue this conversation. You have the wrong man, citizen. He pulled open the door and jabbed a thumb in the direction of the street. Moray remained where he was. I don't think I do. He fingered the knob of his ornate cane. You're Aiden Bannister, right? Yes. Under manager of the mine. Yes. Then you are the man I'm looking for. For what? I have a job for you. I already have a job. Well, this is an after-hours kind of job. Lots better pay. Aiden paused. I don't do illegal, citizen. I'm not asking you to. <sighs> okay. I've been asked to carry out a task for someone and not be seen doing it. Not my problem. But it's a real challenge. It's not what I anticipated. There are guards everywhere. It's Londo. What do you expect? I need someone to divert the guards. Moray glanced around the apartment, as if seeking something with which to bribe him. Aidan prayed that all traces of Eva were invisible. Or something to divert them. I was thinking a small explosion would be just the ticket. No one needs to get killed or anything like that. And you think I would do that? For you. The compensation would be totally worth it. Aiden didn't say anything. I would pay you one thousand credits. All you would have to do is plant one small thingy of galignite somewhere. No one gets killed. I, I slip in and do my job. No one gets killed there, either. A good night's work. Easy. Easy, huh? And as long as we keep each other's confidence, no one will be the wiser. Paid up front? Half before? Half afterward. Where will this work happen? The central compound. That's a lot to ask. I'll never get in there. I can get you in. That's not a problem. There's a secret passage. Aiden evaluated the man. He didn't like this Neil Moray, but he did like the prospect of earning a wad of money and blowing up something that belonged to the central compound. Even better, he would be privy to a secret way into the compound. He could also scope out the guard situation at the main gate. Knowing what opposition faced him and his fellow insurgents, if they attempted an uprising, was invaluable information. With 1,000 credits, he and Eva could run away to the outer islands. He could save Eva's life and the life of their unborn child. 
But fleeing Londo would mean turning his back on the people who had been his friends and neighbors for thirty years. He could never abandon the men who toiled in the mines with him year after year, never seeing the light of day. He wasn't made for running away. He might send Eva northward, but he would never abandon his mates. So how will you pay the second half? The next day, I'll bring it around. No, I want payment the night of. Moray cocked his head. Oh? Leave the payment at Murphy's pub. Give the packet to the bartender. Do you trust the man? Aidan ignored the question. Neil Moray didn't need to know his reasons for doing things, his methods, or anything about his friends. So when do you need this diversion? Tomorrow night, nine o'clock. I let you in, you plant the explosive, detonate it on my signal, and then clear out. Where do we meet? There's a lab near the gate. Lighted sign out front advertising for subjects. Know the place? Dr. Stone's lab. Yes. Be there at 8.45 p.m., citizen. Aidan held out his hand and nodded at the chest pocket of Moray's jacket. Good. Neil smiled and reached for his wallet. I like a man who can make up his mind. Joanna shivered on the hard bench of the central compound retention unit. After being processed, she'd been given a bundle of wool that was more handkerchief than blanket, and a small cushion for a pillow. She tried to guess what time it was, but the amenities of her underground cell did not include a window or a clock. She had tossed and turned for hours on the musty mattress and wondered how many prisoners before her had slept on the thin, rag-stuffed pallet, and how many fleas remained. She scratched a welt on her elbow and tried not to contemplate how long she might have to stay in this dank place. As long as it takes to keep Eva safe. Some time later, as Joanna drifted between sleep and awareness, she heard footsteps coming down the corridor. <laughs>